0: Okay, well thank you everybody for coming out. Thank you for watching online. Thank you to the Davis County Library for having us tonight. Thank you Lisa May, for setting all of this up. So my name is Danny May, and I'm a ghostwriter for Jason Koger. And so I wrote, I ghost wrote the book Hand to Greater Purpose. So tonight you're gonna to hear from Jason, you're gonna hear us talk a little bit about the book. So, but that's why. And I got to know Jason several years ago through writing articles for World Living. And uh, probably Ownsworld Times and, and Omsworld Parent, maybe. But anyway, we got to know each other that way. And when Jason decided he was ready to write a book, he gave me a call. So first of all, I want to thank you for doing that, because one of the things that I think is neat about this book and the purpose is that we did it all right here in Omsworld You know, we, we wrote it here. It was designed. The cover, anyway, was designed by Tanner West right here in Omsworld and then it was printed by Butler Books, which is in Boulder, but. Jason could have picked any ghostwriter in Nashville or anywhere else, but he did pick me. So thank you for picking a hometown guy, just like you, to write this book. So anything you want to say?
1: No, so, uh, you know, my name's Jason Carter, and you know, it's always been a, uh, it's always been something I've always wanted to do for sure. And and uh in the back of my mind, I knew when that time came that it was going to be Danny anyway. Uh, Danny and I have talked a lot about the book, and then I think I've always felt like
0: why
1: is my story I don't know if I'm doing something wrong. No, I you guys anyone try to that. So I didn't I didn't know, um, I think I was really nervous about writing the book because I always thought I don't want people thinking that I'm better than them. That was one of my biggest concerns and I always thought I mean really why is my story that much more important than somebody Because we all have a story. And uh, but in the back of my mind I was like, you know, I, if I can help people out uh, I did not do this book for an income. Uh, I think I do a lot of stuff for people that people probably don't even really realize. I think um, a couple months ago, for instance, I had a boy reach out to me. He was 16, and uh, he was also he was riding a dirt bike. He came in contact with a down fire line. Uh, he lost one arm. That's all he lost. He's in. Uh, I said, That's all he lost. All <laughs> uh, he lost one arm. Uh, he lives in New Mexico. His mom actually reached out to me on Facebook and I uh, started talking to his mom and, and he was like, Man, he's you know, his name is Hunter. He's like Hunter's really depressed, he don't want to go to school, he's never been around somebody who lost a limb. And I wasn't joking, but I was kinda joking. I was like, Well just bring him to Kentucky, you know, and spend a weekend with me and so are you serious? I said, Yeah, for sure and so uh, anyway, you know, paid right for the flight, they spent a the whole weekend here and like that's something like super cool to be able to do with somebody. Uh, and spent a weekend with him, and, uh, you know, we just went out to eat. We really didn't do a whole lot of stuff in the winter. we just went out to eat. We went bowling one day and uh, taught him how to bowl with, without an arm, and, uh, and then he hung out at my house, and it was really, really fun. So I always said that, you know, anything that I do, and I know some of you probably read it, some of you haven't, some of you know my story anyway, but when I did that episode on Hawaii 5 uh, became really good friends with RoboCop from the 80s. And, uh, that's just one story and I, I talk about it in my book and I don't name drop. But what I think is so cool about that is, uh, and I don't know if I put this in the book actually. Uh, now, um, when he decided to come to one throne and spend a weekend with me, it was the anniversary of my accident when he came to town. And, um, as we were, as he was coming, like maybe the day before he flew in, I'd walked up in the attic of the house to get this toy box out. And uh for Axel for my little boy. And I knew I had like a little matchbox car or we'll give him that he was open up to play with and so I climbed up in the attic and I opened this box up and the first thing on the top of that box was a, a poster of Robocop. And here the guy's coming to my hometown. You know, he's coming to hang out with me and just kind of floored me and just you know, it, it, I just couldn't believe it. But one thing that I told uh Peter Weller whenever he came to town, I said can I have a party? Can I do whatever I want with you? He's like, yeah, we'll do whatever you want. And uh, we had the event in Owensboro, the very first at the convention center. And uh, I charged $10 per person to get in. And the next day, he and I was sitting in my kitchen counting all this money, and it was $18,000. And I was like, all right, so what are we gonna do? And he's like, I'll do whatever you wanna do. And I said, all right, I'm gonna give it to seven different local charities. And that's exactly what I did. I gave uh, seven different local charities uh, the money and then he ended up coming in again, which, you know, a couple of country music artists and stuff came in And that year it was $21,000 and I gave it to all the elementary schools uh, in the city and the county for Christmas wish. And I just think about that, and it's like, man, it's so cool for me to have the opportunity from the experiences that I've had to bring back to my hometown. Because if it wasn't for Owensboro, I don't think I would be where I am today because I had so much support, so many people. Pat me on the back, push me forward, and that goes a long way. It goes a really long way. Uh, a next Another person is uh, Alex O'Loffin. I don't know how many people have ever watched um, Hawaii Five-O the new season, but Alex O'Loffin has been Gary on the show. And uh, ever since, I think it's been two years, maybe three years now, that, that Hawaii Five-O has gone off air, and, and Alex O'Loffin has not done any acting since. Uh, he said he wanted to be a dad again and not be so busy in the in the limelight or filming all the time. And So he actually called me like two days ago because I sent him one of my books and his little boy's been reading the book and he uh, he texted me and he goes, hey, uh, can you FaceTime me? I said, no, oh, dude, I got to say something. I can't FaceTime you. And I said, uh, but Jenny's right here beside me. I said, I'll get her phone. I'll call you right back. So anyway, I called him. I didn't know what he wanted. FaceTime in, and I talked to his son for over an hour. I think about it. He walked off. He was like, "Hey, what's going on?" He's like, I hear my son was talking to you. and Like an hour later, he finally walked in there. He's like, "All right, you got to go. You got to go somewhere." But it's really neat to meet meet these people, and and I think Alex will come into town whenever he can. It's just so hard because he's in Hawaii, and, you know, time difference and the travel. But uh, it's been it's been amazing, I've been honored to be able to to write the book and. Um, I think we've done this very well so far. I think the book's been out, what, a month, maybe? Or a couple months. A yeah. couple months, and um, I know that next week I'm gonna have to make another order, and I think we had ordered 750 at the time. So uh, I'm almost out, and then uh, well, next week I go to Michigan to do a do a speech in, in Michigan, so I know I'm to have more. Well, I, they actually sent 132 Michigan, so it's been good. That's good.
0: So we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about the book a little bit more. And if you have any questions, let us know. And anybody online, if you have questions, just let Lisa know in the chat box. So Jason, this happened a while ago. So why write a book
1: now? Why did you choose now to write this book? Uh, so, again, I think it goes back to wanting me to feel comfortable about wanting to share my story and give it to people. Because I just always felt like I didn't want people thinking that I, I think. Better than others. That that was probably my biggest thing. But then COVID hit, and you know I've been so super busy before COVID. Um, Every year I was getting about 150,000 air miles every year. So just showing people how prosthetics work and just doing speeches and stuff. And when COVID hit, and I noticed that we were going to be super slow, I was like, "All right, I'm ready. Like let's let's pull the plug. Let's let's do this." And, uh, and I know you said just a minute ago that everything has happened in Owensboro, like the story was written in Owensboro, uh, the cover was done in Owensboro. Uh, there was one thing that we did do out of town and we went to Nashville. Uh, we spent a whole day with my doctor that did the amputation. Uh, I called him and, and he was like, yeah, absolutely. And as soon as we sat down, I learned more than I really even knew of what happened that day and the reasons of why he had to do the amputation and, and I remember, like, as soon as we got in there, he sat down, he was like, I'm just going to tell both of you right now that this is super hard for me. I was like, okay. And, man, there were multiple times when he was telling his side story that he stopped and cried and, like, told stories of, uh when you're a doctor in the burn unit, and that's what he was. He was a doctor in the burn unit. Um, he sees a lot of bad stuff, and, and people would not even know this, but there's a lot of child abuse in the burn unit. Um, and he told me, he goes, you know, there's a lot of people that that probably burn up in uh, meth blow-ups and stuff like that. And he said, you know, I work on these people that they don't even really care if they live or not. I don't get to meet people like you. And so he and I became so close and, and I think that was probably one of the most amazing uh, things throughout my book was with Dr. Guy. And I think you could probably say more than that because it's the first time you yeah, met him. Yeah, that Yeah, that's one of the neat things that
0: I like about this book is that you know, it's definitely Jason telling his story, but along the way, we talked to a lot of his family members, and like he was saying, we actually went down to Vanderbilt University to learn to the hospital, and like he was saying, we talked with the surgeon that performed the surgery that saved Jason's life, and some of the nurses there. So what I'm saying is, as you're reading through the book, you're hearing other people's perspective, too, because for about three days, roughly, Jason was in a coma, so he, he can't tell that part of the story. But his family, you know, Jenny and and his mom and dad and the doctors and nurses kind of pick up where he can't tell that part of the story and they they kind of pick up there. So that's one of the unique things I think about this book. And you did bring that up, but that's, that's definitely, personally, my favorite part or story from the book is probably hearing Dr. Guy, that's the surgeon, his perspective and just knowing what was going through his mind on that night on March 1st that year. Um, and then you hear what's going through Jason's mind, too, and it all kind of comes together. Jason said in the very beginning, you can say more about this, but Jason said in the very beginning that he wanted this book to read like a movie. And so <laughs> we had to kind of think through that. But it kind of goes from scene to scene in some parts like that. So this really kind of means. So that's my personal favorite. Do you have any favorite things about the book, the stories or the theories?
1: Yeah, you know, um, my wife really doesn't get near the amount of... Uh, Respect or the story because I mean, you know, I was 29 when I got hurt, and Jenny was 27. I don't know, age, age. <laughs> um, she was 27. We had Billy Grace was 21 months old, uh, Campbell was three months old, I actually wasn't born. And I tell people, like, literally, the easiest thing that Jenny could have done was just left, like, it would have been super easy for her to go and just say i don't want to live this life i didn't sign up for this uh and she didn't so that in itself is pretty pretty big i feel like you know people don't understand like you know they hear my story and they and they automatically think that you know i got hurt i lost my hands and then i'm this super successful amputee but people don't realize like the very first day i got home and uh so my my whole right arm was skin draft and it had to take skin from my knee to my hip and half the front side of my leg on both legs just to cover my right arm. My left arm was just basically, I got a scar from my elbow all the way out where they opened it up and said it looked like a shotgun and went off on the inside. So they knew it had to go, but there was no skin grab on it. Uh, When I got home, Jenny had to become a nurse. She had to uh, wash my arm with a washcloth and then she couldn't use that washcloth anywhere else because she couldn't cross-contaminate all the stuff. So she had to do a washcloth, 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 washcloth. washcloth. And then a towel, 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 towel. Uh, she had to do that four, uh, three times, three or four times a day, every day. So if you just think about just that one thing, like, can you imagine how much laundry she had to do a day? I mean, that's a lot, you know? And, plus uh, kids. Yeah, plus kids. Um, but then I realized like really quick that Uh, Jenny would feed Billy, then she would feed Campbell, then she'd feed me when my food was cold, and then she'd feed herself. Um, And I picked up on that really quick, and I think, you know, like, in the amputee world, I'd say the divorce rate is like 80-90% because people do not want to have to deal with all that, Um, or, or the person that didn't lose, or the amputee automatically automatically gets used to just laying in bed like she's going to cook, she's going to clean, she's going to do it all, so I'm just going to hang out. Um, And that's probably the biggest part of it, to be honest with you, but I noticed from the very beginning that I didn't want to live like that. I didn't, she had to give me a bath, she had to, I had a hospital bed in our bedroom, so she slept in the bed, I slept in the hospital bed. I had to be wrapped up from the bottom of my foot all the way to my hip because of the skin drafts on both. Uh, when I was laying down, they wanted it off. But when I stood up, I had to put it on so that the blood wouldn't run. Uh, so just to have to go use the bathroom, just like I would have to figure out, all right, Jean, I have to pee. We got 30 minutes. Like, I got to get wrapped up. So, like, I had to know <laughs> way before. Um But all that stuff, man, it was so hard uh, the first month, two months. I don't even know how long that was. Uh, and I asked Gina... You know about those couple months and she's like I don't even remember you know she's like it has blocked her mind uh, so I don't know if it's because she don't want to remember but uh I was not her husband for two months I was her I was she was my caregiver I mean that's what it was and it was super hard I mean it was but I noticed from the very beginning so and it's easy for me to explain uh, the knee brace that kind of straps around here, and then it's got a ride, and it's got like a little hinge that comes down and straps. So I got one of those, and that was the first way I had it strapped on my arm, and I had a fourth duct tape with a piece that would... So I got pictures of me eating spaghetti with that because I didn't want her to have to take care of all, all of me. I didn't want that. I didn't want that for our life anyway. So I think it helped to have the kids, because people always ask... Like did you get depressed? Did you? I didn't have time to be depressed. Like man, when you got you know little girls running around the house and you know you got so much stuff going, you just don't have time for it. Um, and I think it helped me because obviously my faith. I talk about my faith a lot. Uh, I've always had faith. I've always gone to church, so I knew in the back of my mind that God was going to just take care of whatever it was going to be. Good, no matter no matter what I went through but every single morning when you wake up and you heard his little feet running down the hallway like it gave you a reason to get up and i don't know i tell people all the time i really don't know if it was those little feet running down the hallway if it was my faith i don't know what kept me so positive but from the very first day uh my dad walked in the room and told me that you know we would get through this one way or another because we had faith uh i just i believed it and went forward. Like, there's no reason to look back. I have people, whenever I do speeches and people ask me questions, one of the biggest questions is, do you wish on March 1st, 2008 would have never happened? No, I don't. Like, I don't. I'm not the kind of person that looks backwards. I don't want to look behind. I don't worry about the past, the past, the past. Uh, I'm happy with who I am. And it's nothing to do with people i've met or the things i've been able to do has nothing to do with that i just there's no reason to keep going backwards and looking at what could have been different because it's not it, it happened so there is no way it's going to get different from what from that day so why go back and think i wish it didn't happen so anyway yeah and, and jason's right that's the way the book is
0: laid out the no. The first three chapters, I think, gets up to the day of the accident. So you've got the day of the accident in the first third of the book, and then the other two thirds of the book is just like he's talking about the looking forward, the being positive, and how do you take what happened and make the best. Now I'm putting words into his mouth, but but you see what I'm saying, just like he's talking about. So, in fact, it's only a couple pages as far as the details of what happened that day. And when he's doing, when Jason is doing speeches, when people bring him in to talk to a school or a church or something like that, He doesn't spend a lot of time on the actual accident, for one, because you can't get into the whole big story in a 30-minute talk at a church or at a school or something like that. So this book is a chance for him to do that. And then, But the other thing is just that that's not the main part of the story. The main part of the story is what's happened since then. But the book is a chance for those couple pages to kind of get into that a little bit that you don't get to share in most situations, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, before we move on, is there any questions coming up?
1: Oh, oh wait, I think a comment. Or Let's in the me. crowd, comments or questions? Yes. I have one. I'm okay. sorry, I have no idea what you were talking about the accident. Oh, to say what your accident was? Yeah. So, uh, so on March 1st, 2008, I was riding an ATV uh, around my grandfather's farm, and I came in contact with a vampire line. So, I took 7,200 volts of electricity. And a lot of people don't know this, but. Uh, and. Man, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly all these stories. There's so many stories in the book. My grandfather was an amputee too. So my grandfather lost his left arm in a corn picker. He was 29 years old. Um, He was about the same length as my left arm. And I I was just telling somebody in in Colorado this week, uh, I have never one time in my life in 29 years uh, I seen my grandfather without a prosthetic one, one time, and it was by accident. Um, I had walked in his house late one evening, and, you know, it was my granddad, so you don't have to knock, right? So I just walk in, and I'm standing in the kitchen, and I'm talking to my grandmother, and uh, he comes out of the bathroom and just took a shower, and, you know, he was wrapped up, but he didn't have his arm on. It. And that's the first time I ever seen it. And he turned like ghost white, like, almost like I seen him completely nude. And he went run into the, and he came out clothed with his arm on. It. And that is the only time I've ever seen him with his arm on. It. And I don't know if it was, and, and now that I'm an AT, and I, he passed away two months before I got hurt. So I never asked him any questions. I didn't know whose process was. I thought my grandfather was the first AT in the entire world. And I thought <laughs> I was the second. I mean, like I'd never seen anybody like this. Um, and now that, now that I'm in the position I'm in, I mean I meet anti all over the country now, you know, what I mean I see them. I mean they probably all know at least who I am. I know what most of them, you know, whatever. And it um, but it blows my mind that that, you know, my, my grandfather went through the same thing and, and that's another part of the story that maybe it's because I seen my granddad do everything for himself that I knew I could do it. I don't know. Um, I think about that all the time, but I know that he would he would die if he seen the technology that's out now because this technology was not out when he passed. Um, and then I think about like insurance and people getting prosthetics and the cost of prosthetics, you know, one hand, hundred fifty grand. you know? Uh, a regular hook, like old Civil War hooks, they're probably $30,000, you know? And I buried my granddad, or we buried my grandfather with his prosthetic on. I didn't think he might ever need it, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not even on only person, so. Uh, but, and I think about that all the time, and I, I tell my wife all the time, I said, the day I die, like, you know, you can have an open casket with my arms on, but as soon as right before they shut it, it's like, take them off and give them to somebody, you know, because they're too expensive to, to not to give to somebody, you know, like. And I think about that all the time, too. It's like, man, I would, I'd love to have my grandfather's prosthetics, you know, now, um, even even if I didn't use them just to have them, you know, but. Uh, so, it, uh, that's the short version of, of it, uh, of what happened. But, uh, and yeah, so the, the surgery was to save
0: his life. That, that's the amputation. A lot of people think that he got his arms blown off on a four-wheeler, but that's not what it was. It's the surgery that actually was the amputation. But it saved his life. But they had to, it's on the But they had to, what do you call that? Uh, Sedate him you know, for all of that. So, anyway, any other
1: questions? No. And I'll, I'll add to that, so when you watch TV, a lot of, like, of TV is fake, right? And when you see somebody get electrocuted on TV, it blows everything off and that's what everybody thinks right off the bat. Uh, electricity does leave your body somewhere and it could be a big opening. Um, I, I've met people, uh, well, I'll get to that in a minute, when, uh, when I took the electricity, it went through both arms obviously. And my left thumb was basically hanging off. And I was awake for that. I remember all that. Uh, but it also came out the bottom of my right foot and blew my tennis shoe. They found my shoe 30 feet from where I was. Uh, but it carterized itself up when it came out. It just, I don't know how that works, but uh, I do have a scar on, on my foot where it did come out. Uh, but it wasn't like other than that, you know, my right arm was 30 degree burns, but it was no open wounds. So when I got in the ambulance, uh, Jenny got in there too, uh, I had no clue I was gonna lose. I knew I was gonna lose my thumb, and that was it. Um, And I I remember telling her on the way to Owensboro, I was like, you know, have I lost this whole arm, I'm gonna lose my thumb. Like, it ain't that big of a deal. You know what I mean? And that's exactly what I thought. And then whenever I got to to, uh, Owensboro, and they put me in a helicopter to go to Nashville, I still had no clue what they were gonna do. And no, absolutely no idea that that was even a thought. Um, Actually, the helicopter ride, I remember all that too, and um, I even asked her, like, why, why are we going to Nashville? Like, I'm just losing my nerve. You know, like, why are we going all to Nashville? She would just kept, kept telling me that everything's going to be okay, and in the helicopter to Nashville, that's when they, they capped me for one, um, and I remember seeing my urine in the cat bag, uh, and it looked like Dr. Pepper. I had no clue what it was, but they didn't even know that's what it was at the time. Uh, when you get electrocuted burns from the inside out, so that's poisonous toxins inside your body. So the poison was going through the, through the bag, you know, is what that was. That's, they looked like Dr. Trevor. Um, and then, whenever, uh, and then they stuck, you know, they started pregnant for surgery, but they couldn't do anything until I got to Nashville, and they couldn't do anything until Jenny signed release So like, when I first got to Nashville, they put me in a hydro room where they pushed, pushed, washed, your dead skin off your body is what they do. So like, I, I went through all that with nothing until she got there, once she got there, she signed the lease forms and done it. so.
0: But. Any other questions real quick? We'll talk about the writing process a little bit then. Um, we spent about, it was over two years, it was the entire COVID. Um, and basically from a gross writing standpoint, it was, it was a series of interviews we even talked I would record Jason sharing his stories and then transcribe them. I would send him a chapter to read and make revisions and he'd send it back to me and that's what we did. And so we had what we thought was the whole story kind of on paper. And then like I said, in the meantime, I was interviewing other people from his family and his doctors and things like that. And then we just put those pieces together kind of like a big puzzle. So I had from Jason the, the whole story more or less. But the first time that Jason and I met to actually start on the book, we prayed together, that the book would be uh, a success, and that it would help inspire people, and we believe that it will, and everybody has. Um, and then we kind of put the chapters together, and then we just went from there. So when I had Jason's basic story, then we went back in and put the other people's perspectives in there. And I don't remember when we get into all this, but we had the first draft, and we were excited about it, let a couple people read it, and they were like, it's kind of confusing. <laughs> so. Then we had some other people that we trust. Oh, yeah. We had another editor named Karen Hunsanger, who took a lot of time with it, and she took it from a fresh perspective because she didn't have two years invested in that like I did, or like Jason did. So she was able to go back through it and give it another round of editing. I don't know, development. She gave it another round of development, and then we felt really good about it, and sent it on to Butler Books. I don't know if you want to say anything about Butler or not.
1: Yeah, totally. Well, and it was funny because he did, he wrote, it was all done, and it's like, man, I don't feel like I, I actually met a guy, um, that works with Dave Ramsey. It's Dave Ramsey's, uh, main marketing guy. So his name's Kurt Harkin. He read it, he's like, man, at first it's confusing, but then I love it, and then, like, I don't know. So then that's when I got thinking, it was like, you know, well, I mean, he says that, Dave Ramsey might get it, it's like, well, you might change something. <laughs> um, so, and then, and then Karen came in and kind of just, you know, I think all she did was like reset our the thought process, of it. Yeah. and it was my fault from the very beginning because we wrote it literally like a a movie. So you literally hear from me, and then you hear from Jenny, and then you might hear from somebody else, and it goes back to me, and it's too much back and forth. So now the way it reads is it all comes from me, but it comes from some of the stories that people told me too that I don't remember. Um, basically, how it goes, but. You know, but the books, that was another thing. was like, all right, who do we get to do uh, publishing the book? And you know, when we do somebody local with Ken, and then it was like, he had actually did a book for the Haydens, you know, Nikki Hayden, Earl Hayden. And um, so they did but the book too. And, but they were great to work with. It's been nothing but uh, anything that we need, we've gotten, uh, you know, timelines or whatever. So she's been really good to work with. and. Even to the point, like I was texting her at 10 o'clock last night, like, hey, we got to do more books and, uh, and get some more out. And she's like "Right, right back. So, you know, I mean, you don't get that from just anybody. No. She might not like it.
0: But <laughs> 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 All right, any other questions about the book process or a a basic story? Oh, we got a few more minutes here. Yeah,
1: yeah. Can you talk a little bit more? I know there's a couple people in the room that aren't real familiar with your story. Can you talk a little bit more about the tech that went into your arms? Because that's really innovative stuff that you have there. Yeah, so um, obviously with all the wars going on around 2008, that's when prosthetics really started going from the regular hooks, uh, body-powered hooks, uh, to being way more advanced. And I I talked to my, I talked to a prosthetist in Nashville. And Ginny, while I was in a coma for three days, it was an induced coma. Ginny um, got done research, found out about this buying a can, and she's like, oh, that's what he needs. And so uh, finally went to a process uh, in Nashville at first, and I got talking to him about this buying a can. I was like, that's, that's what I want. It'll never happen. Why? Insurance will say no. Why will insurance say no? He said, I'm telling you, the insurance is going to say no. It's too much money, uh, they're too new. They just won't do it, especially the two of them. And uh, so anyway, we—I fought for that insurance. I mean, we we had letters written to the insurance companies, and uh, so finally, I got it through. And I'll, I'll never forget—I didn't even know why he was coming, but uh, he was in Nashville. His name was Eric. He called me one day. He was like, "Hey, uh, you gonna be home tomorrow?" I said, "Yeah." He goes, "I'm coming to Owensboro." I was like, "Okay." We done Owensboro for? And he actually brought the hands, which he couldn't fit in Owensboro, but he actually brought. Both ends in my house, and uh, said, "Man, insurance said yes," and that's when I found out I was gonna get them. So uh, I literally became the first person in the world to buy cans, and then, um, and, and then I think being in an Owensboro and my story kind of going around, like you know, News Fourteen in Evansville and local newspaper or whatever, uh, CNN picked up on it. So then I did a CNN. Uh, well, CNN just picked up the article or the or the news thing from Evansville. Uh, I didn't do anything on CNN, It just literally went to CNN the next day, and then uh, I think the next thing that happened was the Hawaii Five Uh So Hawaii Five wanted to do an episode on, uh, it's called the Hookman episode, it was a remake of the 70s, of a guy that had two hooks, and they wanted to do a guy that had two by hands, and when they Googled it, I was the only person they could find <laughs> in the world. So, uh, and the next thing you know, on CNN, and, it just opened that door, and then after, well, what happened on, on the Hawaii fi oh, they told me this, so what happens if we're in the middle of filming and your hand breaks? I said, well, I mean, I just gotta get it fixed. I mean, it's all I can do It's like, dude, you have no idea, this episode is so big that this episode, it costs $2.6 million to do that one episode. So we cannot take a chance. If can you call the touch bionics or whatever and get more hands. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> no idea. So um, so my process called uh, touch bionics and said, hey, you know, tell them what we've done. And they said, Yeah, we'll we'll ship them out, but you know, y'all gotta understand y'all gotta take liability too. And like I am not sending them to Jason, not sending them to you, but I'm gonna send them to Y50 owed. Oh, one is gonna be in charge of them. So they actually sent me uh three or four sets of hands. Uh, and they sent my process with me in case something broke on set that I had somebody there to, to fix them. But what that did is that opened up for me to, especially after they watched the show and watched what I could do with the hand, um, Touch Bionics called me and like, hey, will you be in an ambassador for us and work with us? And I said, yeah. And So the hand that I'm wearing right now, this is a fifth generation hand. But I've been the first person in the world five times now. Every time they come up with something new, I'm the first to get it. Um, even when they are talking about coming up with something new, I'm the first to talk to them about it. Um, so I've had opportunities to really put stuff in this hand that was my idea. Not my idea as in telling them what to do, but what I wanted the hand to do. I, I leave it up to, they're out in Scotland is where uh, the engineers are. And I just tell them, like, why can't you do this? Why can't we do this? And, And then I let them figure out how how it works. Um, But every time something's come out, it's even come down to the wire where when they come out with anything new, they'll come up with like five names and they'll send it to me and say, all right, you pick which one and that's what we're going to call it. So it's like really cool to have the opportunity for anything new coming up. one of these days, somebody will probably maybe get that spot from me. I don't know, but it's been really cool to watch Technology, even from 2008 to now. And uh, the last three years have been super rough because of uh, COVID. Because I was supposed to go to uh, Scotland and spend some time with them on new stuff, but COVID hit and that's been on the back burner now. Um, And I didn't even realize, to be honest with you, like I said, I was in Colorado uh, this week. I I just flew home today. And uh, when I was in Colorado, we were talking and So I got wrist rotators too, so it's just a different muscle that I move to make my wrist turn whichever way I want. And whenever I first did it, one of the guys at Oster, which is who makes his hand, he said, "Uh, What wrist do you have? So I got the Oster wrist. He goes, Dude, you're the only person in the world has got that. And it's like, they already took it off the market because it keeps breaking. I'm like, well, I mean, it had broke on me, so... Uh, he said dude you like i'm gonna have to tell all these people because all the people that was in the room were prosperous, so they knew that it was something that they've never seen before or heard before and uh, he was like man i can't tell you how much about this because it's discontinued right now and i was pretty shocked and I'm, I'm the only one in the world i guess and i've had them for like two or three years i guess so anyway pretty
0: deep any other questions yes lisa
1: um, do you know how many other people in the world have a bionic or bionic hands now? Oh, um, I'm still the only one that's got two. Still the only one that's yeah. got two. But I think there, I'm sure there's a lot that has one. Or, now they even make digits, so, uh, I don't even know when they come out, but in the past, if you lost just fingers or half a hand, they didn't have nothing for you anyway, like nothing. And now they make digits, which is mainly the fingertips and they can make it where you can be pretty high, and then you can make different muscles work, and make your fingers work, and it don't matter if you're missing two, or one, or all five, or, doesn't matter, they can do anything that they want now. So, there's a lot of people that's got that, uh, which is the same technology that I have, basically. Um, I have, like, they make this hand that's uh, it's called an Access, which is like a Medicare hand. It's a lot cheaper. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles that this one has, uh, but this one's like the, uh, most advanced hand that you can get is think, with titanium fenders, which are stronger fenders. And uh, like one of the good things that the hand does now is it has an Apple app for it. So I can change like the speed of it. I can change uh, different grips it can do. Um, I, there's a whole oh, right lot of stuff. Size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it also uh, has the technology. It's got a gyroscope film in it, just like a, like a cell phone. So if you hold yourself on up and then turn yourself on sideways and out the screen turn, it knows where it is in space at all times. So my hand knows where it is in space at all times, too. Uh, so if I'm down or up, it won't do what I want it to do, but like now that I'm parallel to the ground, so it knows that my hand is parallel to the ground, so when I hold open and the finger twitches, once it twitches and I barely move backwards, it goes into different grips. So I can go forward, backwards, left, and right. Uh, and make it
0: go into different stuff too, and then I can change all that with the app. So, okay. So this is how this works, real quick. We won't get into this too much, but put your hands straight out like that, with your thumb up. Everybody do that. Yep. No, I should hand it. There you
1: go. I can do that. Okay. Okay. <That's> awesome. <laughs> all
0: right. With your other hand, grab your elbow down here at the bottom. Yep. So when when his surgery happened. Just imagine, if you were to take his arm off, just imagine he's got about this much of muscle around him. roughly. okay? So, here we go. So now, squeeze with your left hand and turn your thumb up. No. Oh. No. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's it. Okay. Yeah. I only wrote the thing. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, and then, straight down. Yeah. Yep. So, do that again. Okay, so. You can feel the muscle. You can feel the muscle right down there when you do that, when you flex up or down. Okay, so now, in his arm, if he's what used to be hand up is now flexing this muscle, which does that. And so now, when he flexes down, it flexes that muscle, which does that.
1: But then, yeah, but to get it in the co-contract where the wrist turns, you gotta hit both muscles at the same time. So what that does is I feel like my pinky is coming out like that real quick. Yeah, like that. So when I do that, he goes in to rotate and then whenever I go down it goes that way and whenever I go up it goes that way. So I don't open and close and uh, rotate at the same time. So and then so track to do the same thing.
0: Yeah. So what muscles he has left is what's controlling that.
1: Yeah. it's the same way. So and, and that's probably a question if I haven't asked yet, but why do I have an ETD on one side and a hand on the a other? What? Way? A what? what? <laughs> this is called an ETD, it's so what this is called. It's a myelectric hook. It works the same way off my muscles just like a hand does. I can unscrew it, put a hand on. Uh, but they told me that I was gonna have to wear a fan pack. And people in Kentucky used to the guys do wear a fan pack. So I said, I'm gonna keep all my stuff in my pocket just like everybody else does. So the hand, the fingers move, so I can't get the hand inside my pocket, so I got an ETD so I can put all on my phone, my keys, my wallet, everything. So that's why I have an ETD on one side of hand, and a hand on the other. But I can also, so the, the hand has five different, uh, actually it's got six different motors. It's got one in every finger and two in the thumb. So I can stall them out too. Like it doesn't matter if it's one, two. So if I grab something round, like a cone, it will actually go around. Actually, like so if you see, like it stopped right here, but then it kept going right here. So it'll form against whatever I grab. So, got so. anyway.
0: cool. <laughs> we may have a few more minutes. I don't
1: know. you're okay. good till eight, so you got as long as you want. All right, Oh, you mm-hmm. Can I share a screen? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I want to share this because now I don't know if you
0: remember it or not, but so my husband at the time went through with Jason, just after your surgery mm-hmm. and you were still bandaged. And I don't know if you remember what you said, I don't. but you raised <laughs> both hands and being the man that you are, and you said, I would shake your hand, but I can't. <laughs> and I just want to say that that's much the epitome of who you are, yeah. and how much I admire your truth and your faith and your, your courage. So for the people, you can, you can comment to that, but for the people at home, what she was saying is that she was sharing the story in the fact that, was that the night of the ex? No. That would have been right after the surgery. So, so The night of? Yeah. yeah. Okay, the night of his surgery. Okay, The Yeah. Well, okay, so he still had bandages on, just, so she was telling the story, and Jason, Picked his hands up and he said, "I would shake your hand, but I can't." <laughs> so yeah,
1: okay. Yeah, it's because my uncle even bought me a shirt that says, uh, "Don't shoot on an my arm." And got <laughs> like the first day I woke up, so. and then and then there was another one that said, uh, "Look, mom, no hands." He gave me two of them, and, and the first day he walked in, like my uncle was just—I uh, think he would have probably cried. And so instead of crying, he was like, "Man, I'm gonna kind of somehow laugh, I guess." And uh, first thing he said when he walked in, what are you doing, stubby? Like, it's first thing he said to me. So, uh, there's a lot of people that have done pretty funny stuff.
0: Any other questions and comments?
1: So, I understand that you had a... that actually playing ball. Mm-hmm. And that they, they made you a glove? Yep. So, they make a lot of different stuff. I mean, if you can dream of it, they probably make it. Uh, there's companies out there that make uh, attachments for holding a knife playing golf to baseball uh I mean just you. I'm telling you it's, it's unbelievable what, what the stuff they made so they made me a uh a glove it looks like the lacrosse glove like the stick so they basically just took the stick off and you can just pop it in the socket uh and then you know the old um uh the frisbee or the you know you put like a tennis ball in that frisbee for dogs and then whenever you stop the ball would come out so they basically did that exact thing they just when they stick it in so whenever my hand stops it comes out and you just gotta stop back here instead of you know here and then uh, and then they made a little handle to hold it back too so yeah it works pretty good i mean they make it it's it's crazy and a lot of people have a lot of, of adaptive equipment but i didn't want anything adaptive because i wanted to be able to travel just like everybody else and drive a vehicle Not yeah, <laughs> and I didn't want to um, So, yeah, I mean it's, and you know, there's been all kinds of different funny stories throughout throughout the whole time that I got hurt, like a month from last I went to go turkey hunting with one of my buddies in, in Butler County, and he said, oh yeah, just come stay night with me. So I did, and I didn't have arms, and I told him, I said, man, you gotta help me. I mean, I, I can't do anything for myself right now, you know, and he so, said, I'll help you. So, uh, we were on like 431, like a busy road in Butler County, and uh, uh, maybe 231, I don't remember, it was, it was a busy road. And I was like, man, I, I got pee. He said, all right, I hope it. Yes, and so we pull over, and he gets behind me. He's like, now, the only thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna be behind you, I'm gonna reach around, and just undo the bridge, I'm just gonna pull them down, then I pull them up, like, I ain't doing nothing else. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so he did, and uh, so, you know, I got my pants down to my ankles, underwear and all. And he gets in the truck, off. So I'm like, me, so I'm like trying to run with him because I was covered, but then I do not covered. So that was not in the book. That's, that's exquisite information. That's funny. Ooh. Other questions, comments? Just tell the story of Jane
0: going for a walk, and when she came back, to
1: what Billy said. I wonder which one that was. Um, Whose hands? Oh, yeah. so, And that one, well, I say that one, that wasn't long ago, it <laughs> was long ago. Um, so Billy actually found a picture of of me with my hands, and I don't guess she realized that I. Is that the one you're I don't know what <laughs> you're talking about. Um, Billy didn't know. I, she found a picture of me with my hands, and she's like, for a long time, she's like, I, I, I didn't know Dad didn't, or that he, he had hands. So, um, she never asked me about it. She asked Jenny, she said, uh, she said, Mom, did, did dad really have hands? Yeah, he had hands. So, you know, here's a picture. And she said, Well, how, what happened? And Jenny told her the story, and then she said, What, well, did he cry? <clears throat> Excuse me, did he cry? And Jenny's like, I'm sure he cried a little bit. So, but yeah, she, you know, didn't really realize that I didn't have hands, which I mean, she was 21 months old, you know, but, um, I don't know what you throw your tongue because like, i got a bunch of them. Jenny went for
0: a walk.
1: She's out of the house, and she came back in, and the, she wasn't allowed to leave it in, but called Oh, yeah. Um, so, I, that was the first time. I tell people, there's three things I can't do. I can't cook, clean, or change, dirty diapers. Um, but that was the first time. <laughs> Jenny walked Joe. out. Yeah, that's <laughs> have no, no. So, Jenny had walked out to go walking, I guess, what she was doing, and uh, anyway, uh, Billy came in there, she was still in diaper. And, uh, she had, I guess, I don't know what she did, Pete. I guess she's number two, I don't know. And, uh, she said, Dad, you gotta help me. So, I was like, alright, so I helped her and, and, you know, I had my hook and, uh, I wiped the bottom and, anyway, when Jenny got in there, she said, Mom, Dad, he wiped my butt with, uh, with him hook and I don't want <laughs> like him. He ain't doing it no more. <laughs>
0: I got one everyone. Yep. I'm looking at my hands now and say thank you. are an inspiration the story. Can you just describe your training
1: to the hands? Yeah, so um, the very first day I woke up, which was 3 days after my accident, Dr. Guy, he sat there and told me how the prosthetics, well, he thought how they worked. And they may work like this one day, I don't know. Um, but he told me that when you feel like you raise one finger, or middle finger, ring finger, pinky, that that's what's going to control the hand. Um, and, and I think I don't know if I'll ever see this in my in my lifetime, maybe. But they are already talking about surgically implanting like a half of a piece of rice on every nerve, so when I feel like I raise one finger, it would raise one finger and two fingers, or you know, whatever. Um, so when I was laying in the hospital, he told me that that's how it worked. And he also told me that you have to feel like you raise your wrist, lower your fist, uh, and all that stuff. So, uh, and he said, that's how it worked. But he said, if, if you can go on and train your muscles to do that now, then it's gonna help you later on. So like every day, and I still do it every day. Uh, every day in the hospital, I would lay there and just close my eyes and think of like wiggling my finger, just raise one finger and lower it. And I would do it 10 times on each finger, and then I would raise my wrist 10 times, lower my wrist 10 times. So I already had my muscles like super strong and ready. And then whenever I got fitted for prosthetics, my mom was actually in there the very first day and I had like, it was called an ETD, which was, or not an ETD, it was called a a Gryphon. It looked like a hook, but it was a lot stronger. And uh, they had just put the socket on and my mom, the doctor walked out. My mom was in there, I said, just put your finger right there and tell me when it hurts and I'll stop. So I mean like and a lot of people don't have like you know, most people are just open and closed. that's all they can do. But like, you know, I can I can slow it down, and that's just all my muscle. So anyway, I stopped on her finger and then I, I pushed down a little bit more until she told me to quit. And when the doctor walked in and said me did that, he's like, Dude, I have never seen you like this, like, not that quick. Uh but I think it was just because for months, you know, I was just working my muscles every day and I still I still did that every day. So all they can do is them just to, uh, just to get better. So, and and also, you know, I've been around farming and different you know, racing cars and stuff, and I understand how things work. Like, uh, like whenever so I used to race cars, and I tell people when when you race a car and you're sitting in the seat, everything you feel in the car is in your rear end. That's it. So when you go in the corner, if the car pushes or if it doesn't turn or if it's turning, you can tell where the weight's moving, and that that's what tells you if you need a you know stronger spring or different weight or whatever, you know I mean? You just feel that. And I tell people like, you know, if, if you can think or feel something and know how it works without seeing how it works, like on the race track, you can't be strapped to the underneath and watch the springs and stuff, right? And uh, and I think that's really helped me because I, when I understand how things work and I understood that when I raise my lip wrist, lower my wrist, co-contract, I mean, I do it super fast, you know, and a lot of people can do that because they cannot see all that stuff works. And I just, I, I think I had that vision of, if I want to grab a book off the shelf, I already know how to grab the book before I even get to the shelf. You know? And a lot of people was like, well, let me get there and figure out, like, all right, I guess I need to open, and then I need to grab it, and then I need to close, and then I need to, you know, whatever. So I think that helped me out a bunch. Jason, Charlie yeah Yep. Uh. Went through would have sunk most ordinary men. So tell us about your faith in God and how that. I mean, you're stronger now than back when you were racing cars and and mm-hmm. How did that save you? Yeah, so I mean, I just feel like, you know, I had an opportunity to have, you know, two parents that, uh, you know, Raised me up in church, and so I never really knew, I tell people this all the time, like I never knew the difference of not believing. So, you know, because people ask me, you know, when you go through an accident like this, a lot of people, it opens their eyes up to their faith or to God, or, and, and I try not to, to bring up like what faith anybody is, because it, it, at the end of the day, as long as you believe, it really doesn't matter exactly if you're this, you know, Catholic, Baptist, whatever. Um, and I, I feel like I feel like it helped because I knew I, I knew when my dad told me the night that I, or the day that I woke up and then he, you know, he told me that I lost both of my arms when he told me that we would get through it because we have faith. Like I already, I kind of already was like, yeah, I know we will because I knew that. You know what I mean? And I think it would be super hard on other people that don't believe because well, I mean. It will be hard for them. I think that, and I said a lot of people that have lost limbs that, man, they don't do anything. And I just, and I think it's because they don't, they don't believe in in God or, or what they can or can't do, or they, they don't see how, uh, they don't see how your life can change for the better when you go through something that's so bad. Correct. You yeah, know? so, and I knew that, so I think that's really what separated me to most other amputees that, that I meet, you know? And I think people can see that. And I think I can share my story in schools and stuff. Cause you know, some schools, you're not allowed to talk about, uh, you know, certain faiths, I guess. But whenever I talk to people and tell them my story, I think I can get into their head that I had faith and that I do have faith without even, you know, if you're not allowed to, you know, to say God's name in church or in uh, school, I think they can automatically see it, which I think is really cool too. So. Want to add to that? You know what's right. too. Okay. <laughs> I think we had a question from the young man back there in red. He does. <laughs> um, how do I do what? I know. I swim. Oh, swim. So, swim. yeah, how <laughs> do no, I swim? So, I do have the body pirate stuff, like I told you my grandfather had which are the old Civil War hooks, basically, you know, been around since Civil War days. Um, And I usually, when I swim, I'll swim with my hooks on. I can't get these wet because there's a lot of technology inside these. Um, So I'll usually swim with them, but I'm not supposed to. Or I don't wear anything. He's seen me enough, he knows. Um, So I can do either or. So sometimes I will swim with my hooks on which I'm not supposed to cause they tell me they'll rust but they haven't rusted yet cause like as soon as I get out I just WD-40 spray them <laughs> um, out. So, so, so far I've been really good with that. Uh, but but I would definitely not wear these. But even, you can even get arms or sockets made without the cable, without the hook, just the socket, the carbon fiber piece and they have like fins so you can swim. Um, even like, uh, Oh, uh, Soul Surfer, the movie Soul Surfer. So, Bethany Hamilton uh, actually has been talking to the process that I go to now in Dallas. And I don't know if she'll ever get an arm because she's super high. But the reason she, without talking to her, uh, I would say the reason she does not wear prosthetic is right. probably because she went to somebody that didn't know what they were doing. Because I did the same thing. I went to somebody that didn't know what they were doing and it hurt, I didn't wear it, but a few hours a day. But now I go to Dallas to get my prosthetics done because I go to a guy that only does arms. That's all he does, he does not do legs. If you went in losing an arm and a leg, he'll do your arm, but he's gonna send you somewhere else with a leg, he's just gonna do it or not. Uh And vice versa, most people don't get to do arms, so every now and then, an auntie will come in, has lost upper limb, he'll go to somebody. And, uh, they'll say, well, I know I can do it because I do legs and it doesn't, it doesn't work because I would only wear my prosthetics right like maybe four, five, six hours a day. And now I wear them. Well, again, I was in Colorado this morning. I left at, uh, six o'clock this morning, seven o'clock this morning. I've had them on ever since. So I don't, I can them 16 hours, 18 hours. I guess if I want to stay up 24 hours, I can do that too, but I not even going to stay up that long. So. And I do charge them every night. Um, I just got a magnetic charger, so just like a cell phone. And you can see the lights lit up, so when the lights start going down, just like a cell phone, I it mean, it's about to dead. Um, so I've had them on all day. I've only got one light off, so, and they're all 20% on each one, so I still have 70-something percent left, I guess is what I got, so. Uh, this one's got two lights off, probably really sitting there doing this. Um, and then also, you know, I got the wrist flexion units, I can lock it in where it doesn't turn. Um, so, anyway, that's how I do it, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many sets do you have
0: that you typically
1: Um, probably four, probably now. I mean, I have a lot of sets, but, you know, your arms changes shape from 2008 to now. And probably every couple of years, uh, your arms will change, you know, size or shapes. But, I mean, I probably have 10 or 12 sets at home that don't fit me anymore. But I um, only have I have four sets that I can wear at any time. And I usually like, you know, when I go out town, I'll take a couple sets with me because I don't want to get stuck with a break something. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll travel with them. And it, it blows my mind because, you know, the price of these things, sometimes when I travel on a plane, I, you know, I have, Almost a million dollars worth of prosthetics in a bag. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, How to go through x-ray. Blows my mind. Uh, at the, at, uh, the airport, it's, it's crazy because I go through the body scanner. Yeah. I got TSA, so right. I did that yes. so I to take shoes off right. and stuff. Um. so I gotta go through a body scanner. And if I hold still and hold my breath, it won't set it off. And it's like a green light, but if I barely take a breath or move just a little bit, it will. So, uh, but every time which I think this is the dumbest thing. Uh, every time I go through, they all I always have to swab it for bomb material or whatever. So they'll swab it and run it through a machine. But then I got a bag that's sitting on the conveyor belt, where, and they don't check them. And I'm like, well, that's really stupid. In, and they check but you don't check them. Uh, so yeah, that's how. I, I mean, it, it really not that bad. You know, they used to. Two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten. when I traveled. They packed it down and. You know, all that kind of stuff. But I, I haven't had that done in a really long time. Do
0: you, do you usually match fingers and hooks or do you, do you
1: like to do it now one yep. of each? one of each. And if I break a finger, they make it now where it's just a screw that you unscrew. So I can unscrew it and take this finger off and the whole thing still works, I just don't have a finger. And uh, they'll melt in one, Don't overnight in one. You know, and I'll have a finger the next day and just put it on. and. The only one I can change is the thumb, because it has a special tool you've got to use, but other than that, it makes it pretty pretty handy for, pretty handy. (laughs) Handy. Anybody
0: else? Any other questions? Okay. No, yeah, why didn't you, why didn't you, see
1: the difference between before your actual hands, right now you have your mechanical arm, or even. you really see the difference? Is it perfect or it's the only Um, I yeah. know that's a tough question. That is a good question. Can you repeat the question so we're all happy? you want to repeat it, I can He was asking
0: what's the difference from your natural hands to your bionic hands, and is it something you see physically or just mentally? That, that's what you
1: said. Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, it's probably more mental, uh, more than anything, because once you, I don't even think about it anymore. I mean, I, obviously, I had to look and see certain things I do because I can't feel. But uh, and I think that's why people in the prosthetic world. I have been, uh, I've been able to see like a lot of cool stuff, like stuff that people usually don't get to see. So they flew me to Paris, France uh, one time, I, I don't know, a couple years ago, and there was three of us on the stage. It was me at the bilateral prosthetics, and there was a guy that had the first hand transplant in the world. Uh, he was from Australia, from. Uh, and then they had a guy there that lost all those fingers and they took his toes and put his toes on his fingers. So he had fingers. But he didn't have to take all the drugs and medicines for anti-rejection because it was his body part. Whereas the other guy did. And, you know, I knew, cause I mean, I don't want really to make anything about this. I'm a really good user and most people either, and I think the reason they're not is because they really don't try. Because I think it's all mental on, on how good you can get. It. Um, so we're all on this table and i thought about, and actually I was asked to do hand transplants. I was going to be the first. They wanted me to be the first in the U.S. to ever have a hand transplant. But with all the medications and the guy that I was sitting with, he still looked like he had a stroke. He didn't have a little, whole lot of strength. I mean, it was cool to see he had hands, I guess, in, but uh, for him to hold a cup of water, he had to squeeze it together and then drink it because he didn't have enough strength for his hand. Um, But I think that the the physical side is uh, I don't, I'm the type of person that I don't think that I care what people think of what I look like. So I am, uh, and and a lot of people, I think that's a hard part to get through. I think a lot of people want to cover it up and then they don't want nobody to see what they look like or see that they're disabled or different and then they stay to themselves. So, I don't care about that, so I think it's 100% mental for me. That a good, good answer. Yeah, he doesn't want
0: to brag about himself, but the companies that make his arms and hands and wrist rotators and all that will tell you, because they told me, that he is the best user in the world as far as proficiency in using his hands for things that most amputees with process can't. And uh, there's a story, I don't remember who it was, but they were at a convention or something and they were playing Jenga. Like, you know that game where you play pull a little blocks out and falls over. Like, I can't do that on a good day. And he's doing that <laughs> with those things, playing Jenga. Things like that. We were at a, we were at Chipotle Chipotle, you he said, last week having lunch. And he took his straw wrapper off, put in his drink, and a, a little bitty piece of the wrapper on a straw about that day fell on the table. And he just reached down with his hook. We were having a conversation. He was just looking me in the eye and he breaks it down with his hook and picks it up and puts it on his tray so he can throw it away later. I'm just like, that's it's crazy, it's amazing. It's like, anyway, so, things like that. Any other questions or comments? Just one more question. Yeah. What is your mission for the rest of your life how you want to say something? He just asked, what is Jason's mission for the rest of your life?
1: Uh, just to show people, that no matter what happens, you can get through it. I mean, that's really the, the most part of it. I mean, I think that uh, people give up on themselves so easy that um, you have to, you, you just have to believe in yourself just to move forward. And I think that's what I want everybody to know. Oh, a couple things. I want everybody to know that if you got faith, like, and you believe that you can get through anything. It doesn't matter. And, and I do believe that, you know, we're all going to look at trials. Every one of us is going to look at trials. And, uh, but those need to get over it. They just have to like, that's whenever it's a mindset that I, I believe enough that, uh, you know, God's gonna push me through and I'm just gonna like keep walking forward. And I know you weren't here uh, earlier, but I said that earlier. I said that, uh, you know, people ask me all the time would I go back to 2008 and my accident not happen? and I said, no, I wouldn't because I don't believe in living in the past. I believe you I live in the. Present. I don't even think you need to live in the future. I think you gotta live in the present. And um, it happened. And I know it's not going you know, to come back. I know I can't go back in time and change it anyway. So I don't want to live in the past. I want to live now. Um, and, you know, in, in a very, at the very first, when I first got prosthetics, I had a glove that looked like a real hand. And they make it. I mean, you can get freckles, whatever color you want. You can get hair on it, fingernail painted, whatever. And you cannot tell. And I had a long sleeve shirt on, and uh, a guy wanted to shake my hand. He didn't know I was named T until he felt it. He felt the metal. and he screamed like a little girl. (laughs) It scared me. It scared him. And I I know it embarrassed him. And I was like, man, I like. And that was at that moment. I was like, you know what? I want people to know that I'm named T because I'm not ashamed of being who I am. So. I'm
0: glad you asked that question, because it goes right to the title of the book, Handed a Greater Purpose. And so Jason would tell you, because he says it in the book, that before the accident, he kind of thought his life was planned out, he knew what his future was gonna be, and then that happened. And so that's kind of the whole point that, and he would tell you, you can say it better than I can, but this is his mission in life, this is his purpose now. So he was handed a greater purpose, and now his whole life, as you heard him talk about this last hour, is either trying to inspire people and encourage people with his faith, or helping other amputees realize that their life is not over, and you do have a good future, and he can help you do that. So he really does spend a lot of time talking with people to encourage them and inspire them, especially amputees, but not just amputees. I mean, he's just as encouraging i think been to give a, rise in a in a room full of amputees, you know? So it's just a good story, so. Thank you for sharing it with the world now in this book. And uh, I think maybe now we we'll go to the back. And if you don't have a copy and you want one, we can do that. We can sign. If there's any other questions or anything else, are we good, Lisa? Yep, we're good. Okay. Well, thank you again for coming. And thank you to the Dan Stanley Public Library for having us. And we'll see you at the table in the back.